From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Aftershocks from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan continue to reverberate as China stages live-fire military drills around the island. China is being pressured from below to react strongly. This idea of a century of humiliation endured by China from the 1840s when the British forced opium on China till the Chinese Revolution of 1949, that's felt deeply and sincerely by the Chinese masses and working class. And the global left continues to react after the FBI raids properties and affiliates of the African People's Socialist Party in St. Louis and St. Petersburg, Florida, accusing party leadership of being led by Russians and Russian propaganda. Now suddenly we are supposed to become uh, tools of Russia like black people don't have minds of our own to be able to define what our reality is and who's responsible for it. All that plus the poison pills and the so-called Inflation Reduction Act and much, much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. This is a very fraught week in D.C. for both domestic and foreign policy. It started with the U.S. using a drone missile strike to reportedly assassinate al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri as he stood on a residential balcony in Kabul, Afghanistan. The Center for Constitutional Rights responded with a written statement that said in part, quote, the drone strike in a country where the United States is not at war which rendered a balcony a battlefield, is more of the brutal same. The United States has abandoned Afghans, doing little to resolve the humanitarian emergency it helped to create. Yet it claims the authority to duck back into the country to unleash an extrajudicial killing, end quote. That assassination, which is still not confirmed with DNA, was followed by the controversial trip by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan, which was described by the People's Republic of China as, quote-unquote, playing with fire, as Taiwan is part of China. According to analysts, this visit by a U.S. official third in line to the presidency was a further provocation by the U.S. In addition to heavy weapons sales to Taiwan, U.S. military advisors illegally on the ground in Taiwan, and routine patrolling by U.S. military warships in the region. Though Pelosi was greeted by Taiwanese leadership, she was also greeted by protesters broadcast on Twitter. There was also a large boisterous rally on Monday, August 1st, outside her office in San Francisco, where a retired Superior Court Judge Lillian Singh was one of the speakers. We'll have more about the aftermath of Pelosi's Taiwan trip and the raid on the African Socialist People's Party after headlines with historian Gerald Horn. Now, the legacy of two decades of the so-called war on terror also dominated action on domestic policy. 
after a week of profanity-filled press conferences featuring comedian Jon Stewart advocating for veterans, Senate Republicans were finally shamed into voting for legislation to aid veterans sickened and sometimes terminally so by toxic fumes from burn pits used by overseas U.S. military bases to dispose of garbage. The formal name of this law is the Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson Honoring Our Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxics Act of 2022. It's known as the PACT Act, and is named after a U.S. veteran who died of lung cancer two years ago. Veterans like Heath Robinson were remembered by Rosie Lopez Torres, wife of a burn pit survivor, at a press conference on Capitol Hill after Tuesday's victorious vote. Most importantly, the people I want to recognize are the veterans that didn't go home, the ones that walked the halls for 13 years. We walked the halls, we sometimes wanted to go home and had to tell each other, put your big boy pants on, we're not leaving. They told us to build systemic momentum. We did. (laughs) And we did it for all of the fallen that are not here. This is for Wesley Black. This is for Heath Robinson. This is for Will Thompson. This is for Kate Thomas. This is for all of them. With her husband, Army Captain Leroy Torres, Rosie Lopez Torres founded Burn Pits 360, to advocate on behalf of veterans. It is estimated that 3.5 million veterans will be able to receive benefits from the PACT Act. While veterans have been exposed to a variety of burn pit toxins, including benzene, dioxins, lead, and mercury, they have been denied benefits until now. While those advocating for veterans and the PACT Act were ultimately victorious, the tortured path to victory and the fact that this law to help veterans was politicized by Republicans also reinforced the broken state of the lawmaking process here in Washington. After Tuesday's vote on the PACT Act, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont took to the Senate floor to express dismay at how the process in Washington easily aids the wealthy and the military-industrial complex, but becomes difficult for meeting human needs. On the same subject, he reminded the public of all the benefits for the American people that were included last year in Biden's signature proposed law called Build Back Better, and how the Inflation Reduction Act is a mere shadow of the former legislation and actually includes hidden poison pills, though it is still being touted by many Democrats desperate for a win before the midterm elections three months from now. We have legislation which, unlike the original Build Back Better plan, ignores the needs of the working families of our country in childcare, pre-K, the expansion of Medicare, affordable housing, home health care, higher education, and many, many other desperate needs that families all across this country are facing. This is legislation which at a time of massive profits for the pharmaceutical industry, and we pay by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs, takes some very modest steps to lower or control the price of medicine. This is legislation which has some good and important provisions pertaining to energy efficiency and sustainable energy, but at the same time, provides massive giveaways to the fossil fuel industry whose emissions are destroying the planet. 
This is legislation which appropriately ends the absurdity of large, profitable corporations paying nothing in federal income tax, but at the same time leaves intact virtually all of Trump's tax breaks for the wealthy and large corporations. Madam President, this more than 700-page bill, after months of secret negotiations, became public late last week. 700-page bill, months of secret negotiation was made public last week. In my view, now is the time for every member of the Senate to study this bill thoroughly and to come up with amendments and suggestions as to how we can improve it. I look forward to being part of that process and working with my colleagues to make that happen. The next day, Sanders returned to the Senate floor to propose two amendments to the Inflation Reduction Act to strip away any giveaways to fossil fuel industries and to make Medicare prices for drugs as low as prices paid by the Veterans Administration. He said, quote, how insane is it that you have one federal agency called the VA that pays 50 percent of what Medicare pays? I mean, how crazy is that? We could save Medicare some $900 billion over the next decade. That is nine times more savings than the rather weak negotiation provision in this bill, end quote. In Black Lives Matter news, WNBA star Brittany Griner was sentenced Thursday to nine years in prison in Russia on drug possession charges. But negotiations for a prisoner swap between the U.S. and Russia is said to continue. Ex-Black Panther Albert Woodfox has died at the age of 75 due to complications linked to COVID-19. Woodfox survived 43 years in solitary confinement and won his freedom six years ago. Four current and former Louisville, Kentucky police officers were charged Thursday for alleged federal crimes related to the March 2020 killing of Breonna Taylor, a 26-year-old unarmed black woman who was shot dead in her home during a botched police raid. Detective Joshua Jaynes, former officer Brett Hankinson, former Detective Kelly Hannah Goodlett, and Sergeant Kyle Meany are facing federal charges that U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland said include civil rights offenses, unlawful conspiracies, unconstitutional use of force, and obstruction offenses. In D.C., two police officers, Terrence Sutton and Andrew Zabowski, are charged in connection with the 2020 death of Karan Hilton Brown, who was riding a scooter when he was chased by Sutton onto street traffic and killed. Prosecutors allege that Sutton and Zabowski worked together to hide their involvement in the fatal incident and to obstruct the investigation. And a vigil was held in D.C. Tuesday, August 2nd for Kevin Hargraves Sherd, who was reportedly shot in the back of his head by police while running away. Police said that Hargraves Sherd was involved in an incident in Northwest D.C. on Saturday, July 30th, when shots were fired between passengers and cars. Family members were allowed to see the video of the police shooting, and they dispute both that Hargrave Sherd was involved in the car shooting and that he was armed when he was shot dead and killed by police. His sister, Nkichi Feaster, was one of those who attended the vigil. No one deserves to die like that. If cops can escort a man 
off of the premises of where he just conducted a mass murdering of multiple walk him out taken to get a burger before escorting him to jail there's no reason my brother shouldn't be alive it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what happened if you are so fearful of your life that you have to shoot first that you are shooting someone in the back of the head as they are running away from you not shooting at you you don't need to be a police officer period and finally, in culture and media, a Texas jury decided Thursday that conspiracy theory broadcaster Alex Jones must pay the parents of a child killed in the 2012 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School $4.1 million in compensatory damages. Jones repeatedly broadcast the lie that the shooting was staged to encourage gun control and parents mourning the 21st graders killed endured years of harassment and death threats. And lots happening in D.C. and extended virtually online. Too much to mention at all, but the exhibit, The Bridge That Carried Us Over, which chronicles the African River Road community and the desecration of Moses African Cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland, closes at American University's Katzen Arts Center on August 7th. The 13th annual Black is Back conference is happening August 6th and 7th in St. Louis, Missouri this year and virtually online. Info is at blackisbackcoalition.org. And the African Diaspora International Film Festival DC is happening August 5th through the 7th at George Washington University and online. One of the documentaries featured is Angels on Diamond Street, spotlighting three black women fighting for social justice at the historic Church of the Advocate in North Philadelphia. An undocumented Mexican immigrant family asks the church for sanctuary. This is part of the trailer. Carmela, an undocumented immigrant from Mexico, and her undocumented children ask the church to take them in as the family fights deportation orders. It breaks your heart when you, when you see the children, and you just know that people live 24 hours a day in fear. Carmela and her children who are a sanctuary family. Her story is all of our stories. Why is it the counterterrorism unit here? Do you consider this terrorism? I'm going to hold everybody accountable in this country who is not fighting for justice, who are not fighting on behalf of undocumented immigrants in this country. And if you choose not to leave, then we're going to have to uh, begin to arrest folks, and that's not what we want to do. Now more than ever, when we look around society and we see all the hatred that has been unleashed full throat into the world, we cannot just sit back and watch. My thing is, go out, volunteer somewhere, don't stay home, and give back. You know, you give back. and. Take back, give back. I know, my back too. Mm -hmm. More information about both the in-person and online versions of the African Diaspora International Film Festival DC is at adiffdc.eventive.org. And those are headlines and happenings. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. 
Taking my baby to school, then I pray for it. Cause you, they never been cool, writing testament. Painting pictures, put me in the Louvre, that's a definite. Universal shift, I'm in the groove. A celebrity do not mean integrity, you fool. I'm a good man, shake your hand, firm grip rule. 72 wins, lost 10. Balling with the flu, more than two M's, for sure, but add another two. Mm. Little man, man, the big man, so GT down and flipping the kickstand. Rich, rich, broke phone. Trying to keep the balance, I'm staying strong. Stop playing with me before I turn you to a song. Stop playing with me before I turn you to a song. Ayy, dumb attractive. Can't fuck with you no more, I'm fasting. Uh, dumb attractive. Can't fuck with you no more, I'm fasting. Uh, the morality can wait, feedback on low latency. I'm glitching from the face as my thoughts grow sacredly. I'm running out of space, ask when is she okay? Never mind a honey cake, why you lying on Benjamin? He turning in his grave, I be lying if I said I wouldn't get it. The weight, the aloof Buddha, I'm Christ with a shooter. Praise to Muhammad, I might lose ya. AP, Michael Friedman, my friend's cooler. Primary, so the resale face stupid. I would never love my life on a computer. IG, I get you life for a chickabooya, more power to ya. Love him from a distance. Why you always in the mirror more than the more than the and my cousin tried to sue me like he got the privilege. But I didn't lose sleep cause I got the spirit. Hey, rich, rich, broke phone. Trying to keep the balance, I'm staying strong. Stop playing with me for a turn to a song. Stop playing with me for a turn to a song. This is on the ground, on the ground show.org, voices of resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And now I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst the prolific author and activist Gerald Horn, professor of history and African-American studies at the University of Houston. The most recent of his more than 40 books is The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of American Fascism. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you. Well, that provocative trip to Taiwan by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, which we discussed two weeks ago, actually did happen this week with Pelosi traveling on a military plane, no less, slipping into Taiwan late Tuesday night with details of this trip kept a close secret until the last minute. And so while she was there, she met with Taiwanese leaders and gave a speech in which she repeated the latest, I call them U.S. empire talking points, Quote, the world faces a choice between democracy and autocracy, end quote, end quote. America's determination to preserve democracy here in Taiwan and around the world remains ironclad, end quote. I should also say that she was met with protesters. I saw one group on Twitter hurling epithets at her. And so there was way too much happening this week to cover quickly, but Let's start by you giving us your top line thoughts on Pelosi's misadventure. Well, I don't think you can understand this escapade without understanding her district, which covers most of the city of San Francisco, has one of the largest Asian American populations of any congressional district, mostly Chinese Americans. And like the Cuban American population of South Florida, many of whom have roots in the fleeing from the revolution of 1959, Likewise, a disproportionate percentage of the Chinese-American community in Pelosi's district have roots in the fleeing from the Chinese Revolution of 1949. But obviously, Washington is miscalculating because they're tending to drive China and Russia together. You may have seen the comment from the Russian authorities offering assistance to their Chinese comrades in confronting 
U.S. imperialism in the South China Sea. And Washington might be aware of that because, not uh, being reported heavily, is the fact that the nuclear talks with Iran in Vienna have resumed and the U.S. negotiator, Robert Malley, is jetting to Austria as we speak because there was a gathering apprehension that the United States was also driving Iran, China, and Russia into each other's arms. But we really should warn the hotheads in Washington about something they should already know, which is of the 19 tabletop exercises that have been conducted by the Pentagon, uh, so-called war games, where the United States confronts China, that the United States have lost all 19 of those exercises. Washington should also be aware of the fact that China is being pressured from below to react strongly. This idea of a century of humiliation endured by China from the 1840s when the British forced opium on China till the Chinese Revolution of 1949, that's felt deeply and sincerely by the Chinese masses and working class, and they're pressuring the Communist Party to react more strongly. And then, of course, Washington should be aware that China has a number of cards to play. Already, we have received news that they may be curtailing agricultural purchases from Midwestern farmers, which will not go down very well, I'm afraid to say, during the midterm congressional elections. And then we know that the People's Bank of China has been reducing its purchases of treasury bills from the U.S. Treasury Department. Those are basically loans to Washington to prop up everything from the Pentagon to the post office. For the first time in a decade, those treasury bills purchases have fallen below about a trillion dollars. Likewise, Taiwan, the rebel province that China calls its own, which only has a population of 23 million, it's heavily dependent on the Chinese economy. And in light of the fact that this week, China will basically be encircling the island and engaging in live fire in terms of military exercises, may curtail exports from Taiwan, not to mention imports. And that may also help to drive a lesson home to the U.S. economy because a major export from Taiwan are these computer chips. Uh, the Taiwanese computer chips manufacturers are some of the most significant on planet Earth. And in fact, we've already received reports that a dearth of computer chips has led to a shutdown of assembly lines in Michigan, for example, for the building of cars. And that sheds light on the recent CHIPS Act passed by Congress, which Bernie Sanders called corporate welfare, which it is, which is going to subsidize the manufacturing of chips in this country. And in fact, uh, Taiwanese chips manufacturers are about to build major plants in the United States, as well as Samsung of South Korea. I should also mention, finally, that it was quite a remarkable and vulgar display by Congressman Gregory Meeks of the Congressional Black Caucus, chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He accompanied Speaker Pelosi. And wow. I don't know if you saw the footage when they landed in Taiwan. Uh, he was acting like Marcel Marceau. I mean, he was acting like a mime. Uh, Speaker Pelosi would wave, he would wave. She'd take a step back, he would take a step back. I don't know if he was afraid of being mistaken for security 
or maybe he was just <laughs> illustrating how he's like a robot when it comes to tailing after Speaker Pelosi. But it was quite an insult to his congressional district in Southeast Queens. And I hope that they have paid attention to his disgusting display. Right, especially since this follows this legislation that he sponsors that basically tries to penalize African countries for failing to fall in line behind this, you know, the U.S. imperialist moves in Ukraine and also this U.S. targeting of Ethiopia and its sovereignty. So it makes sense that it was uh, Jeffrey Meeks. But in terms of the chips, I do know that Pelosi, while she was there, she had uh, a meeting with, I think, Mr. Liu of the TSMC. This is the the chip, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. big chip maker in Taiwan. And uh, she spoke to him about this legislation here that is trying to subsidize, you know, chip manufacturing here in this country. So uh, I mentioned that because there was a lot of speculation about, you know, what is this trip accomplishing? Why are you going over there, Nancy Pelosi, and uh, causing all of this international upset? without even any real, any goal, right? So is was that her goal to try to make some special deal with this chip manufacturer in Taiwan? In part, and also it was to placate and appeal to the right-wing Chinese American community in her San Francisco district. Plus, we all know that she has a long history of trying to bait Beijing, recall some decades ago, she showed up in Tiananmen Square and unfurled the banner that Chinese interpreted as insulting and hurting the feelings of the Chinese people and then fled into the night. So Speaker Pelosi supposedly will be stepping down soon. She's 82 years old. If the Republicans reclaim the House, which very well may happen, you can expect that. And even if they don't, it may be time for her to go. Right. Well, it's interesting you said that she kind of fled after her other display in Tiananmen Square because people noted that, you know, her plane arrived about 1045 p.m., you know, kind of like a thief in the night. (laughs) And that it was even though it was on a military plane, it was not a, you know, a bold display of as if she was trying to uh, come in the in the in the full daylight and and make a uh, grand entrance. Well, I want to shift gears and go to some domestic issues. Of course, you know, people are still talking about this raid. Uh, Almost a week ago, uh, the FBI raided properties of the African People's Socialist Party and affiliates in St. Louis, Missouri, and in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, The leader of the party, Chairman Omali Eshetela, who we have interviewed on this show, said agents showed up around 5 a.m., to the group center in St. Louis, where he lives, with at least one armored vehicle. He said they tossed flash grenades, broke windows, sent a drone into his house, and forced he and his wife, Ona Zene Eshetela, out of the house at gunpoint. So apparently, the FBI told reporters that, that these raids were in connection with an ongoing investigation of a Russian national, Alexander 
Viktor Kovrich Ionov, and he's founder and president of the anti-globalization movement of Russia. And they're claiming that the African Socialist Party was involved in and Russian disinformation being distributed in this country because they were involved in this anti-globalization movement, had attended meetings in Russia of this movement, and was involved in these types of anti-globalization efforts. So, you know, when I, when I read these accounts, I thought of our conversations about how you said in the 1950s and 60s, the groups like the NAACP kind of made this bargain that black people aren't supposed to have like international <laughs> relations and international solidarity because we're supposed to, you know, trade all of that for a so-called civil rights, voting rights, the right to sit on the, the front of the bus, the, the right to go to any restaurant we want. And that that was the kind of devil's bargain made and that uh, so much of the leadership or so-called leadership in Congress and in these organizations are sticking to that. So the, the FBI feels it has a right to attack black people for uh, uh, seeking international solidarity. Well, in the interest of full disclosure, I should mention to begin with that for a number of years now, I've been a weekly commentator on the African People's Socialist Party and their affiliate, the Uhuru Movement, on their radio station in St. Petersburg, Florida. Now, before uh, left sectarians and nervous liberals call the FBI to drop a dime on me so they'll send a battering ram to my door and drones accompanied by flash grenades and jackbooted cops ready to beat me across the head with reckless abandon. I should also mention that, uh, as you know, I cooperate with many left and black nationalist formations, uh, which I will not enumerate. But I think that the larger point is what you suggest. That is that the Republicans, as they are doing this week, can invite Viktor Orban the neo-fascist leader from Budapest, Hungary, to Texas to address those assembled there, just like Vice President Michael Pence, Tucker Carlson of Fox News and others have been making regular pilgrimages to Budapest to sup at Mr. Orban's table. And what's frightening about that is that just in the last week or so, one of his top advisors resigned because Mr. Orban began citing rhetoric of Hungarian fascists of the 1930s. And the opinion of analysts was that he was doing that in order to appeal to his Texas audience. Wow. <laughs> Which is a sobering thought, to put, to put it mildly. And we need not rehearse what we've been talking about for weeks, which is the Israeli lobby which intervenes regularly in U.S. domestic affairs, helping to defeat Donna Edwards in Maryland, Nina Turner in Cleveland, Andy Levin, their latest victim, a sitting congressman from Michigan. Right, the most progressive Jewish congressman, a former leader of a synagogue, because he doesn't mind standing up for the rights of the Palestinian people. So, yes, and that's not to mention the aforementioned Gregory Meeks and all of his misdeeds, and not to mention Bakari Sellers, the black American CNN commentator who tried to defeat Rashida Tlaib in Detroit and failed. 
And as you suggested, it's not only what happened in the 1950s, our internationalism as embodied by Paul Robeson, who became a sacrificial lamb after the NAACP decided to cut this Faustian bargain with the U.S. ruling class, but it goes back to the bad old days of slavery. When London and Washington were at sword's point, we found Frederick Douglass in and out of London, much more so than Robeson was in and out of Moscow uh, in the 1930s and 1940s. And so this is a very dangerous signal that the FBI sent. We should realize as well that it's utterly specious because we also know that if the Russians say that they're against tooth decay and we say we're against tooth decay, that means ipso facto that we're Russian agents. We cannot take positions that the Russians might agree with. So if we say we're for reparations and the Russians say they're for reparations, that means that we're Russian agents. If we say we're against this uh, sanctions maneuver against Moscow because of Ukraine, and obviously Moscow says the same thing, that means that we're Russian bots. So this is ludicrous. It's a danger to free speech, a danger to the First Amendment, and all progressive forces should speak up in one voice against it. Absolutely. So I know we don't have much time, but I've caught just a piece of a Senate hearing on this week, I think it might have been Wednesday, about the Electoral Count Act. And this is legislation that the Democrats are trying to pass in reaction to the attack on the Capitol on January 6, 2021. So I, I wanted you to just kind of give people a little background on that, because we in, in the past, we've talked about the period of reconstruction. And this act was uh, developed after the contested elections, which had a lot to do with black people in the South being enfranchised and then disenfranchised after reconstruction and the attempt to have a peaceful election that the slaveocracy could, could cooperate with. So why don't you just tell us briefly about the the origins of this Electoral Count Act and, and what you think about it right now in terms well, of what's happening it, right it now. It comes in the aftermath of the contested election of 1876, which represented a blow to Reconstruction and Black people's voting rights insofar as the deal that was cut allowed federal troops to be removed from Dixie, which allowed the Ku Klux Klan and other terrorists to run amok, lynching and killing black people, depriving us of voting rights. Now, the Electoral Count Act recently introduced by Senators Susan Collins and Joseph Manchin is trying to clarify what process takes place when the vote, electoral vote, is counted on January 6th, trying to prevent another effort that you saw take place on January 6, 2021, when Mr. Trump was pressuring Vice President Michael Pence to toss out certain electoral college counts. And the new act by Collins and Manchin is trying to clarify that the vice president's role is solely ministerial. And so that means that they have no power. They just are counting. Now, the Republicans are in favor of this, I believe, because on January 6, 2025, irrespective of who wins, 
it will be Vice President Kamala Harris in the position of Michael Pence. And I don't think that Kamala Harris would try to engage in any shenanigans because the right wing is too strong in this country. But in any event, this Electoral Count Act would clarify that her role is as noted ministerial. Having said that, I think that uh, this Electoral Count Act has been overtaken by events. We know from recent news revelations that not only was the Secret Service perhaps involved in this attempted coup, look at the letters from Congressman Denny Thompson of Mississippi and Carol Maloney of New York, uh, which are raising serious and searching questions about their misfeasance in terms of handling text messages and purging text messages. But the latest revelation is that Pentagon leaders as well have deleted texts that they were not supposed to delete, that they knew they were not supposed to delete. Number one, I trust and I hope that technological wizards can recover these lost texts. But point number two is that this attempted coup might have been much deeper than many of us suspected. And point number three is that I hope Mr. Biden is watching his back because apparently the Secret Service has been penetrated. It's full of Trumpistas and cannot be trusted. All right. Well, I know that in terms of the Electoral Count Act and this raid on uh, the African Socialist Party, it just really points to the connection between the historical effort to undermine, you know, black political power, the black freedom movement. And so all of these stories are stories that we're going to continue to cover here on, on the ground. I want to thank our geopolitical analysts for joining us today. Professor Gerald Horn, uh, professor of history and African-American studies at the University of Houston. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you. everybody one man standing on two words heal everybody transformation then reciprocation karma must return heal myself secrets that i hide buried in these words death threats ego must die but i let it purge pacify broken pieces of me it was all a blur mother cried put their hands on her it was family ties i heard it all i should have grabbed a gun but i was only five i still feel it weighing on my heart my first tough decision in the shadows clinging to my soul as my only critic where's my faith told you i was christian but just not today i transformed praying to the trees god is taking shape my mother's mother followed me for years in her afterlife staring at me on back of some buses i wake up at night loved her daily traded in my tears for a range rover transformation you ain't felt grief till you felt it sober Uhuru, brothers and sisters and comrades. This is Chairman Amalia Shetela. I am chairman of the African People's Socialist Party and leader of the Uhuru Movement and the International African Revolution. I'm doing this uh, broadcast right now uh, because earlier this morning, at 5 o'clock this morning, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, the 
organization that killed Malcolm X, killed Martin Luther King, killed Fred Hampton, killed so many uh, African people who were trying to uh, win our freedom, raided my house at five an hour later than the time that they raided the house of Fred Hampton when they murdered him uh, at 4 a.m. in Chicago, Illinois in 1969. They raided my house. They came to the house uh, and they, outside the house, we were alerted of their presence uh, by a loudspeaker demanding that anybody in the house where we lived uh, here in St. Louis uh, come out with our hands up with nothing in our hands. And they said that they were the FBI. And because I knew some of the history that I just mentioned in terms of their assassination and killing of African leaders in the past, and because my wife was also there and who was a leader in her own right in our movement, I decided that I would go down the stairs to greet them first because I had no idea of what they would do. At the same time they were talking uh, over the loudspeaker, flash-bang grenades were going off throughout uh, the neighborhood. They had broken a window downstairs uh, in the basement, in the house. They had broken uh, in the house next door, the apartment next door. They had smashed the door in. So the huge uh, uh, racket that was going on outside. So I walked down the stairs, and when I opened the door, uh, going down the stairs, a drone uh, came into the door and almost hit my wife in the face as she was uh, leaving uh, the building. So uh, when I get outside, uh, what I see is that there is an armored vehicle in front of the house. Uh, there are combat-clad uh, FBI agents all over the place carrying automatic weapons and what have you. They not only are in front of the house, they are occupying the porch uh, and the yard of the neighbors next door. And this is a really poor and economically depressed community that we live in. Uh, so the flashbang grenades are still going off. When I get outside, they handcuff me they, uh, and they handcuff my wife and they wanted to have me sit on the curb uh, while they carried out their operation. They indicated to me that they had some kind of search warrant and that this search warrant was related to an indictment that was coming down later in the day against a Russian national who was in Russia. And that uh, somehow my name, my wife's name, was attached or associated with this indictment that they were uh, going to be uh, releasing in Russia. Uh, they refused to show me a search warrant uh, but of course they had the guns, and so they had the guns and they were able to enter and occupy my house for uh, several hours. But when they had us outside, I, I finally asked them if we were free to leave because it was ridiculous what was going on. They were clearly uh, not arresting us and they were making a big show uh, in, the, in the community and people are watching these agents in front of our house. I was later to learn that uh, they had, uh, they had, first of all, they took our cell phones, they uh, entered the house, we were to learn that they took all of the devices, the computers and what have you, in the house. I was later to learn that at the same time they raided our house in North St. Louis, a majority African population, they raided the African People's Solidarity Committee and Uhuru Solidarity Movement, they raided the center. Uh, the Solidarity Center that's in South St. Louis, uh, which is majority white 
uh, section of St. Louis and which uh, allowed uh, our movement and our party uh, to promote the struggle for, uh, uh, against colonialism uh, and for the liberation of black people here in the United States and around the world. Uh, and this was uh, something that was meeting a great success in terms of the numbers of white people who are colonizers, who saying that they support uh, the struggle of African people against uh, colonialism. This was the headquarters of much of the movement that we have, uh, having reparations coming to uh, the African community in the form of the programs that we are involved in here in St. Louis. Uh, at the same time this was going on, they raided the Uhura House, our, our office, uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, they used uh, the battering rams, they knocked uh, in the door. Uh, they raided the radio station that we have uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida, Black Power 96.3 uh, uh, FM. Uh, they also uh, went to the home uh, or the residence of the person, the young woman who is the leader of our organization that's responsible for uh, much of the agitation and propaganda, our information uh, institutions, instruments, organization, our radio station, our newspaper, The Burning Spear, they went and knocked on her door. They told her the lie that her car uh, was being broken into and that she needed to come outside and she, they used that as the means of tricking her outside of the house so that they could also take, steal her, her cell phone and, and what have you and detain her uh, momentarily for a while there. This is part of what happened. They attacked the house of uh, the uh, leader of the Solidarity Movement uh, here in St. Louis. They went, they used uh, battering rams, knocked the doors down uh, in their houses. Uh, they held them uh, under arrest. Of, uh, they didn't say it was arrest, but they detained them uh, with the power of the gun uh, for a considerable amount of time. So they handcuffed them in the uh, Solidarity Center. This is what happened this morning. Now, I wanted to be clear that the United States government, according to what I've come to learn since that time, I have since that time seen the search warrant. I have heard news accounts and seen news accounts that they were involved in some attack on our movement because they considered us some agent of Russia that somehow the Russians that we, we did know were involved in using us, using me, as uh, some kind of instrument of Russian foreign policy, uh, that we were interfering, the Russians using us were interfering in U.S. elections. They indicated that the election campaign in 1917 and 1919 that saw uh, comrades uh, Jesse Neville and comrade uh, Achille and I participate in a reparations uh, agenda for the first time in the history of this country in an election. The reparations issue was raised. Uh, it became so significant that it forced uh, the uh, presidential candidates, uh, 2000 rather, uh, to put reparations uh, forward as a part of their campaign. They saw uh, the significance of our movement. And uh, so Jesse Neville, who uh, we ran for mayor in St. Petersburg, Florida, and Achille Anai, who ran uh, for city council uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida, in elections that for the first time in history, Barack Hussein Obama uh, intervened because they were so terrified, so afraid of the reparations demand being taken to the community. We're talking about an election 
that saw Achille and I lead a march with scores of white people marching downtown St. Petersburg, Florida, where only 20% of the population is African, and they were all uniting with reparations to black people, and they were chanting that, and they were chanting anti-colonial slogans. So this is part of what happened, and they want to tie the Russians to this. They're saying that somehow the Russians are using the African People's Socialist Party and the Uhuru movement to bring disregard to their democratic institutions, and that's why they attack our house, which is ridiculous in its face for a number of reasons. Number one, if they were interested in dealing with anybody that was giving a bad taste to anybody in the world about U.S. elections, then they would have had to deal, first of all, uh, with the fact that a group, a mob of white people, apparently supported by the majority of white people in this country, given money by huge corporations uh, who exist in this country, tried to overthrow the government on January 6th. Not a single flashbang bomb was used. It wasn't the Russians did that. That was white people. You didn't see these people who said they were following Trump. On January 6th, you didn't see Trump having to face uh, uh, drones in his house, uh, flashbang grenades, or anything like that. It's just a, an absolute uh, nefarious uh, lie that they are constructed as a part of uh, a propaganda war that they engaged in against Russia and against black people uh, in this country and around the world. So this charge that somehow we were interfering through Russia, Russia was interfering through us uh, against honest and noble elections in the United States government where they used to kill us for even trying to register to vote where some of the most significant leaders of black people came to uh, be known by the world because they had they faced police dogs bombings and stuff like that in order to vote and somehow Russia is attacking this noble US government in its electoral process through the African People's Socialist Party it is the most ridiculous charge, the most ridiculous claim. And they are not saying this because they believe many people, a majority, certain of African people will believe that it is a part of a, of a serious kind of war, ideological war, uh, that they're waging against black people here and that they're waging against Russia. And, you know, at the same time they're doing this, we have to look at this case of this uh, young woman, uh, Griner, I think her name is, uh, who has been detained in Russia, who confessed to bringing in to Russia controlled uh, substances, marijuana or something uh, to that effect. And the U.S. is so concerned uh, that they're trying to use this detention of this woman who confessed to having done it uh, as an example of how Russia is, a, is opposed to black people. And they're doing this in part because nobody, uh, they haven't got a single African country, even neo-colonial sycophants, to unite with the United States and the United Nations in terms of how they are targeting Russia uh, in this Ukraine-Russia question. And if they talk about misusing, and, and so now they're using this woman uh, to try to discredit Russia in this way. And they now want to say, uh, and that's despite the fact that in the United States there are hundreds and thousands of black people who are locked up in prisons right now because of marijuana use. 
And so this is just a bogus charge, and they know you know it. They know I know this, but there's somebody out there that they hope to be able to convince, and whether they convince them or not, they're creating a narrative they think they, they can get away with because they can control the narrative, and we don't have any other outlet to express our views on anything. So we're expressing our views right now, and I think that you should be aware of what's happening. But more than that, it's really important for you to know the role uh, the advanced uh, detachment, the, the uh, revolutionary role, the vanguard role of the African People's Socialist Party. They're saying somehow the Russians are responsible for our position. They say this man, uh, Alexander Ionov, uh, who I met uh, in Russia, I went to Russia on two different occasions, and I met him at a conference of nations that was involved in the question for self-determination. Black people, African people need to be self-determining, self-governing people in the United States and around the world. They want to keep us fighting against racism and the ideas in the heads of white people. They want to keep us make, fighting to make white people like us as opposed to fighting for our own power. The African People's Socialist Party was founded uh, something like 50 years ago in May. And for the purpose of continuing the struggle for black, by black people and oppressed peoples around the world against colonialism. They tried to destroy the memory of the people that what we are fighting for uh, is, a, is against colonialism. And so but, uh, the African People's Socialist Party, by ourselves, uh, mostly for 50 years, have been pursuing this struggle against colonialism and uniting with all the peoples around the world. So they said, uh, I went to Russia. But white people go to occupy Palestine that they call Israel every day of the week. And they work with other white people to steal the land, kill the people, Arab Palestinian people there. They don't say anything about that. And guess what? It's not just the Russians that we support in Ukraine. We support the Palestinian Arabs in occupied Palestine that they call Israel. We support the people who are in Nicaragua who uh, have made their own revolution against U.S. puppets there. We support uh, people uh, who are fighting against oppression everywhere, and we support the Russians in this war that's being made against Russia through Ukraine uh, in an instance when the United States government overthrew the elected government of Ukraine in 2014, and since that time have killed 13 to 14,000 Russians or, or, or Ukrainians in eastern uh, Ukraine who support Russia. So this bogus thing that they're saying is uh, requires of people ignorance of by, by people around the world of this history. And they, it requires ignorance of the people around the world of the role that the United States has played. They want us to forget that it was the United States government that overthrew the elected government of Iran in 1953. They want us to forget it was the United States government that overthrew the government in Abenz in Guatemala uh, in 1954. They want us to forget that it was the United States government that organized a coup attempt against Hugo Chavez some years ago. Uh, they want us to forget the United States government that tried over and over and over again to assassinate Fidel Castro. These are people who were in power in their own governments where they had disagreements with U.S. foreign policy because U.S. foreign policy was designed to keep them living under colonial domination. And black people here, they for we forgot they killed Malcolm. 
that they killed Martin Luther King, that they had killed Lumumba, that they overthrew Nkrumah, uh, that they killed uh, Sankara, uh, that they've done all this mayhem around the world. And in 1968 alone, uh, they killed something like 30 members of the Black Panther Party. And in 1969, they murdered Fred Hampton. The Russians didn't do that. The U.S. government did that. And Omali Eshetela, chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, will have the last word on today's show. He was speaking in the hours after the FBI raided his home and the party's office in St. Louis on July 29th. We will post the remainder of his important comments on our Patreon page. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital, on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network, on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Ivarum and on our website, onthegroundshow.org. In addition to communicating with us on our website, you can let us know you like the show on Twitter, Facebook, and patreon.com at On the Ground Show. Or I also link to every show on my Instagram page, which is Esther, E-S-T-H-E-R, underscore Ivarum, I-V like Victor, E-R-E-M like Mary. Special thanks to Lydia Curtis for her contribution to today's show covering the vigil for Kevin Hargrave's shirt. The music we played this hour included Rich Spirit and Mother Eye Sober by Kendrick Lamar. And our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. This is Esther Ivarum, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience. And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash on the ground show. Or you can see all the ways to support, including end-of-the-year giving and PayPal on our website, which you know is onthegroundshow.org. Thank you.